got i don't know how many 60 episodes under our belt at this point more i think even we got a lot of episodes under our belt and we find when we get to these like adventure type episodes that uh we don't have a lot to say on them i suspect that will be the same in this one because i've got about two pages of notes <laughs> I went through, I started looking through everybody else's reviews online like I normally do. Nobody else had much to say about this episode either. They were all just kind of recaps of this episode. So, it's going to be a fun, interesting, but most likely short little episode. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, thanks for joining us on the Brothers Trek About. My name is Matt, coming to you from Austin. A very cold, freezing, Arctic Austin and just as cold and freezing as my brother Ken in Houston, say hello, Ken. Actually, I'm in. Uh, I'm on Planet Alpha One Seven Seven. Oh no! Yeah, geological technician Fisher has uh, just injured himself in a fall, and they beamed him up, and now the transport is malfunctioning, and night is falling, and oh, the cold, the cold. <laughs> Oh my goodness, hopefully we can get the uh, shuttlecraft working and come down and save you. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone thought of that, or oh. will. <laughs> oh, oh, not yet, sorry, sorry, my no, bad. It's, it's a transporter malfunction episode. The captain got up okay, I hope well, he's that's doing fine. Thank goodness. <laughs> well, here we are digging into uh, episode 7. Here we are, uh, halfway through the season, and only now... Do we finally get some Spock, but not even that much Spock to deal with? This is a lot more an episode about uh, Michael and uh, Amanda and Sarek. It's definitely about their family dynamic and how that relates to Spock. Poor Spock sitting off in the corner mumbling to himself. Uh, it's also an episode about uh, Captain Pike dealing with his posters, PTA. PTSD, basically, from not being in the war, and a very aggressive Tyler trying to talk him out of it. So we'll dig deep into all of these things and more. Uh, I did want to find out, point out, too, that I uh, found out this week that the old showrunners that were, uh, you know, bumped out of this, uh, out of their jobs for this season left after episode five. So it was even still in their wheelhouse that we still hadn't gotten to, to Spock until episode six. Uh, interesting, or episode seven, I guess. Halfway through the season, and uh, and it takes that long to get there. Crazy. Also, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the opening credit sequence this week, uh, we get the new Red Angel with the uh, high tech suit and the uh, the wings flapping behind him. I don't know if you noticed that, but that was a little thing that happened when I was watching through the opening credits this week. So funny thing about like Arky television, which we've talked about, you know, a lot of the differences between the original series, which is very episodic. And of course, this, which is very Arky, which we love, is that uh, whenever you got an arc that you're like perpetuating, 
you always have to kind of remind the audience at the beginning, you know, like, uh, oh, well, don't forget, you know, Spock painted these red angels two months before they appeared, which is, you know, what they talk about in this episode, which is pretty funny because, you know, I think that anybody who's watching Star Trek at this point is pretty much on the ball and can keep up with all these like loose dangling little threads that we got going on as opposed to having to, you know, have it spelled out to him at the beginning of episode, but that's just you know, me. So I was I was talking to Charlie, my eight year old granddaughter, okay. about Star Trek, and she was saying that she likes this much better than the original Trek, which is the other Star Trek that we've watched. Yeah, because there's more action and there's more story, and I was like, well, you know, back in the day. You couldn't assume that the audience was watching that intently, right? Mm -hmm. We watch television differently now yeah. than we used to. So it used to be you'd kind of put the television on, and you'd get the kids together, and you'd do some laundry, and you'd feed the dog, and you'd you know get dinner on the table, and then you'd, you'd kind of watch some TV while you're eating. And now it's, it's more like a religious experience, right? <laughs> we right. set aside a day, we sit down, we, you know, friends gather... And we marathon, you know, something that's that's really cool, right? We watch right. eight episodes of it, and then we talk about it forever. And it's a way more intensive experience watching television. And that means that you could do things with the audience you couldn't do when you're kind of paying attention once a week, and there's no opportunity to rewatch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she got it, but, like, still thought... I'd rather have what's going on now, right? right? And I was, you know, before she said that, I had already realized this was going to be her Star Trek. Yeah. Right? So, uh, you know, our sister has told us before that her Star Trek is Next Generation. Mm -hmm. She was in high school when it was on. It was, you know, once a week. We all kind of sat down and watched it until you went away to college. And Karen and I still watched it. Yep. So, you know, that was her, that's her Star Trek. And, you know, original series is, uh, um, you know, something she remembers as a, as a kid, as a child, that was not central, because we weren't watching it, because, of course, you didn't watch TV in the 90s the way you had watched it, let's say, in the early 80s, right? Right. You know, if I remember when I was a kid in the late 70s, you were a kid in the, the early 80s, you kind of had the TV on in the kitchen, WGN, and, you know, there was a couple of shows, Star Trek, Hogan's Heroes, uh, I Love Lucy, um, The Andy Griffith Show, and The Dick Van Dyke Show. I would say those are, you know, they were always on, and you see, you kind of learn all the episodes, and and it was it was kind of an intensive TV watching experience, yeah. Without necessarily being able to to select an episode and rewatch a particular episode, but they were they were on every day, kind of in between getting home from school and you know they had an early news and then baseball yep. often, and it, so we got to watch those. And we didn't watch WGN the same way once we had cable and weren't living in the Chicago area, and, right. For us, it became much more of a, we watch the Cubs on WGN, and otherwise we really don't pay attention to it. Yeah. We, we had more choices. Well, I think, too, that, like, 
for us, uh, as you recall, especially, you know, in the early 90s, we had, uh, you know, we uh, it, it was all event television for us. You know what I mean? We're, you know, we're watching uh, Twin Peaks and we're buying donuts while we're watching it or, yep. you know, uh, even next generation, we're going to go ahead and, you know, all get together and sit down. We're all going to watch it and enjoy it and have a good time and go to sleep when the Enterprise blows up. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, for us, for us, it's always been event television. And so it's like for us now, you know, in our other lives here where, you know, it's the same thing where Jamie and I will sit down and we'll watch Breaking Bad and there's nothing else going on. We're not on our phones. We're not doing anything else. We're watching Breaking Bad or uh, her. We just started uh, Game of Thrones, you know, same way. We're like, OK, we're watching Game of Thrones. We want to watch what every character's doing. So the three episodes down, we're like, what is this in reference to? What is this going on? Because, you know, now with television these days, you miss two, three, four minutes of an episode, and suddenly you're like, I'm so behind. Yeah. And then you'll, you'll do stuff like you'll watch those three episodes, and then you'll break for a meal, and you'll run out to Torchies or something, and you'll be talking about what you've just watched the whole time. Yeah. You know, theories or interpretations or making sense of it. So uh, Jamie and I uh, recently rewatched Twin Peaks, and so it was very interesting binging Twin Peaks when compared to like taking a single episode and then just pondering for a week about it, yeah, you know, just thinking about like what does that little guy, you know, from another place mean, and you know, what does uh, the gum you like will come back into style, and all these things, you know, and then listening to the music and really, you know, like the music becomes a whole part of it. This is yeah, not a thing anymore. It was what one or two soundtrack albums? I know I owned one of them. Yeah, well, there was the regular Twin Peaks, and then when Fire Walk with Me came out, you had that one too. Yeah. Oh, you know, you ha- you also had the Julie Cruz. There was the Julie Cruz album right, that uh, right, right. David Lynch wrote. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and so it's, so it was interesting because you know some of those things that were like, especially for me, some of those things that were scary. You know, when you're watching Twin Peaks, uh, that now you're like you're kind of binging and you're like this. I don't know if this, it's just, is it because we're binging it and we're not like thinking about it 24 seven or reading the diary or, you know, again, listening to the music and cause some of that music I can still listen to and get creeped out just because it's like, it ties into so much of that stuff, but now I can watch it and be like, mm, this doesn't feel as creepy as it used to. Well, I think we've also, we, so lots of things we've learned how to dial it up, right? Dialing it right. up to 11. And I think one of them is how to make creepy TV. So mm-hmm. while we were watching, Charlie and I, the, uh, this episode of, of Discovery, there was an ad on the CBS app for Twilight uh, Zone. For Twilight Zone. And I'm like, Charlie, you're going to like that. Because she likes creepy TV. She was yeah. like two or three in watching the Goosebumps. <laughs> and so there's, you know, she likes creepy. She likes scary. She likes to watch. One of the things she likes to watch on YouTube is the doll redesigns where they repaint a doll. Mm-hmm. And she loves the Halloween ones where they turn a doll into a vampire or a demon or, you know, right. something scary, right? Not something cutesy. Although, I mean, she'll like those too. But she likes this the scary stuff. And so I'm thinking Twilight Zone is going to be something we're going to watch. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm excited for it too. I just think uh, with Jordan Peele there doing it, it's just going to be... Like Creep Zone Central, it's going to be great. Oh, I have another uh, outrageous theory. This one's actually mine of who the Red Angel might re- might be. I remember this is purposefully outrageous, but it's Captain Picard coming from the future back to help <laughs> fix the past 
and then tying into his own show. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd really change the character of Picard, wouldn't it? So he, he finishes his thing, you know, and then begins his own show. So yeah, exactly. the first episode of his new episode will be like he finishes his involvement in Discovery and then... Yeah, exactly. Says, All right, that's it, I'm retired. <sighs> Hopefully I fixed everything the way it needed to be. All right, so finally getting into this episode a little bit. Um, we got Pike and Burnham at the beginning talking about Spock. I just really like the line that where they're talking about the Red Angel, and Pike basically says, yeah, either the Red Angel broke him or it chose him because he was broken. I think that's a really interesting idea to take, like, so what really happened to Spock? Has he always been sort of got this, like, schism going on in his life, and the, you know, the Red Angel just, like, preyed upon it? Or is it the fact that, you know, the Red Angel, maybe he knows who the Red Angel is. Maybe that's a thing. And so uh, whatever piece of information he found just, like, blew his mind, literally. That creates the interesting possibility, because, of course, Spock seems much more whole later on, right? Yeah. It creates this interesting theory that, that, like, you know, it, it was his friendship with Kirk that allowed him to unify his parts and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, become a whole person who was integrated. He didn't have to be, like, at odds with, am I a Vulcan, am I Because Kirk took him as he was and embraced who he was yeah. and you know, didn't be like, I mean, there was some kidding there for sure, right? Yes. But uh, but you can tell that even by the middle of the first season, those guys are, are fast friends who will do anything for each other. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to imagine that that was the... And that's why Spock never leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's like, you know, I was, I was kind of a broken person before you. And now I found my place. I found my job. And who is it? It's uh, it's Edith Keeler, right? right. Who says, uh, you look like you always belong to his side. Yeah. Like that, that's where you, and he's probably like, yeah, that's, it's the only place I'm, I'm saying, it's the only place I've really got it together. Pretty much nailed it, Edith. I also like the idea, which seems to be what we saw in the trailer at the end of this episode, but... Pike also speculates the idea that it will show him a future that he couldn't process. Right. Mm, all right. Well, that could be something. We also find out, thanks to Burnham, that he left his shuttle somewhere in the Mutara sector. Another callback to Star Trek Two. That's crazy. Nicholas Meyer isn't even around anymore, and they're still calling out Star Trek Two. Uh, I know that we continually in... I know you've got something to say on this subject as well, but uh, uh, we keep talking about how great, uh, you know, Pike is and Anson Mount, the guy who plays him, you know. I just love, you know, these little, like, super... He's, like, just so charismatic, you know what I mean? Uh, I love, uh, you know, when he says to says to Tilly, uh, yeah, let's find out more about this, then it's freaking amazing, you know? Or even the scene when he's going... <laughs> I know. Or even the scene when he's going, uh, you know, head-to-head with Tyler, and he's like... The chair outranks the badge. Sorry. You know, right. he's got, I got my own stuff. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Anson Mount is awesome as Pike. It's great. Uh, I thought you were going to tell your story about watching The Cage. I can. So, uh, of course, you know, the, the thing, the reveal at the end of this episode is that Spock, you know, was talking about the Talos system, right? Yes. 
and we'll get to my dis- my my uh, hesitancy about this, but go ahead. So, uh, and of course, we don't know, pre- you know, precisely where in the timeline we are because star dates are goofy. Yep. Right. So, is this before or after they visited? Anyway, Charlie didn't get the reference. She's like, "What? What is that? You know, what's what's Talos?" And I'm like, "All right, we got to watch another episode." So we hmm. watched the cage, and of course, we're now seven episodes into you know discovery and Anson Mount's portrayal of Christopher Pike. And going back and watching the cage at this point, I was like, "Oh my goodness, he has nailed it." Hmm. I mean, I I had realized he bore a you know, a resemblance to, to Jeffrey Hunter. And watching Jeffrey Hunter play the cage in the pilot, I found no disconcerting, oh, wait, I just watched a different actor play this, and, you know, now it's odd, right? You know, it's yep. like switching between, uh, um, you know, two different Bonds or uh, two different uh, Jack, what's the guy from Red October? Yeah, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, you know, two different actors. No, nothing like that. Uh, it was seamless. And while I was watching, I was recognizing expressions that Jeffrey Hunter was doing in, what is it, 1965? Mm-hmm. And Anson Mount is making those same expressions <laughs> in a way that was like, oh my goodness, you know, I've right. seen that before just recently. This is amazing. He has mined this episode for little bits of pipe. So that when you, when you watch Anson Mount portray Jeffrey Hunter playing mm-hmm. Christopher Pike, yeah, it feels like it's the same guy. Mm-hmm. Even though I just watched the one and then I watched the other, I thought this is an amazing piece of acting. And of course, you know our Spock will have the same kind of challenge, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll want to feel like he's doing Leonard Nimoy playing Spock. Mm-hmm. Not that he's got his own take on Spock. You know, that's yeah. that would be a little bit disappointing. You know, it's one thing when you're in the JJ verse and and you're expecting things to be a little bit different because that's the that's the premise. Yeah. Uh less so here, I think. You're gonna we're gonna want to see Spock. Yeah. Not something dramatically different than Spock. Yes. Although his voice does seem way lower. From what we've heard so far, uh, yeah. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound exactly, but. And I we'll thought, uh, I thought Quinto did a, a fine job at yeah. Spock. So Tyler, to me, seems like a whole other character this season. You know, uh, I mean, I know that we've got, we didn't really know much before, you know, and he's had his like symbiosis or whatever with Voke. Right. So that may have changed him. Plus, you know, he already said he's broken because of the war. And then he got the losing his son and and all of these things that's happened right at the beginning of this season. But it just feels so drastically different. It's uh, it's uh, it's interesting. And it's also fun, especially in this episode, how it rubs right against uh, Pike. You know, they just don't get along. I love the exchange just before the credits when uh they're talking about Voke, and Tyler's like, well, I'm sorry, sir. There's no way to get rid of him. And he's like, I know the feeling. <laughs> it's just it's a great little, like, dig. Wah, wah. 
Also, yay for time travel episodes. You know me, I love me some time travel. We've talked about it in previous episodes. I don't want to get too much into it, but last season's episode was great. The the mud episode, that was a lot of fun. And of course, you know, City on the Edge of Forever always fills my heart. I love it. Uh, and for Christmas, I got Back to the Future. I got the three-disc DVD collection, and the stuff on that is amazing as well. So I've been loving all the time travel. So yeah, this episode was a lot of fun. I love the, the 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 ripples causing, you know, these we see him flip the com badge and get up out of his seat again and all of those things. I love those little moments. Those were really cool. We get the radio thing again. I just liked all their use of time travel in this one. Plus, you know, we get Stamets. So here's like the perfect example of what's good about Archie Television, right? Which we've mentioned in previous episodes. Uh, the good sides of it of being able to do stuff like well, we already know that Stamets can see through the time ripples and it won't affect him because of his tardigrade DNA. So how convenient in this episode that we're going to be able to use him to, you know, help get Pike home. And so he sees the, you know, they see the the plasma blasts and when those occur. And he's like, oh, wait a minute, eight minutes from now, we can still go save him. Let's do this. And, you know, using math, trust the math, Tilly, trust the math. So uh, all of that stuff was really cool. Plus, you know, also on the side of that, we get a really good, we're, we're continuing to build that awesome relationship between Tilly and Stamets, right? The, right. This episode was extra good with that. So Burnham goes to Vulcan, and I feel like this is a different part of Vulcan than we've never seen before, you know? This isn't Star Wars, where every planet has one climate and one area that all looks the same. You know, it's funny because as we know from the movies and, uh, well, the pre-JJ movies and just the the original series itself, we know that Vulcan's red and it seems very mountainous, but we don't see a lot of any, like, cities or anything like that. Whereas, you know, in Discovery, and especially this episode, I mean, it's like, okay, this is like a real civilization seems to be living here as opposed to somehow it's just all rocky and mountains and these people live in the mountains. I don't know what's happening. We get some uh, flashbacks between Burnham and Spock, uh, you know, that's really sort of helping flesh out their story. We see that there once was a bond between them. That's really sweet. Um but I was thinking, like, you know who they should have cast as young Spock is the kid who's playing young Sheldon, right? Because it's <laughs> like, perfect thing. And then I was like, oh, this kid actually looks like him. I guess that's why I was thinking that. But it would have been funny to bring in young Sheldon because it would have been the perfect, perfect young Spock. They get there. We find a new Vulcan um, meditation, I guess. The Tokmar, which brings lost souls home, but... Poor uh, uh, Sarek's been at it for a few days and hasn't been able to find him. Weird. But then we get the scene where Burnham is like really going after Amanda, you know, where she's really like laying in, laying on a guilt trip of like, I think you know where he is. And she's like, I haven't heard from him. And then Burnham replies with, you've always told me the truth. And that's how I know you're lying. It's like, okay, all right. All right, I got a little rant here. And maybe you can back me off the ledge here before I go too crazy. But uh, in this episode, we find out that Spock has Luntoxerai, right? Which is apparently some sort of Vulcan dyslexia that he got from Amanda. So, uh, first of all, I should say, look, I'm all for, you know, 
showing heroes that have common learning disabilities to show you can move past it. I mean, I had a learning disability growing up. It was in the time before we had ADD and all of those things, so we didn't really know what my problem was, but that's what I've always assumed it was. Uh, focus just seems to be a problem. That's why I still don't get math. I'm like, after like two seconds, I'm like, yep, nope, I'm lost on this. I don't get it. So with that said, you're putting dyslexia on a character whose one job in the original series was to do math, right? And I'm not saying with you have dyslexia, you can't do math, but you have to do it so precisely, like in Star Trek Four, that he has to calculate the jump to the, like, nanosecond, and, you know, so you can make it around the sun. And it just feels like putting that in the hands of somebody who might get two numbers flip-flopped seems a little like, oh my gosh, that's uh, uh, that could be a little dangerous. Plus, it's another thing that we've never heard about again, right? Like, I'm already giving you, like, okay, he's never talked about his sister because him and his sister have this really, like, weird, sketchy relationship. But, you know, now we're also dealing with the fact that he's got, he's fighting, he's fighting dyslexia. And you could say, like, oh, well, it was only when he was over, younger, and then he's over it. But he doesn't seem to be over it because he's put the numbers backwards of Talos 4. I thought it was a, uh, more of a spatial like, you know, seeing things in space, you know, uh, like throwing a ball and... Not throwing it far enough? Yeah, like that kind of thing. Well, Leland that calls it dyslexia, a... and then... Yeah. Then we see him get the numbers backwards. Unless... Yeah. Okay, I just came up with this idea, though. Unless Spock knew that he knew that Burnham would find out or someone would find out that he had a form of dyslexia and purposely put the numbers backwards. I don't know. It's weird. It just feels like something that's really oddly tacked on to this character that we've never heard about before. Because again, I'd be all for it. You know, if you want to show 1960s Spock and he's like, well, I'm still dealing with that inverted number thing or, you know, whatever it, it, right. the, his situation is, then that's really cool. But I feel like Again, for it to have never hit this character in the 50 years that we've known him, it just feels a little extra, I guess. Yeah, like if you ever wonder why Spock never piloted the shuttlecraft. <laughs> but he does, doesn't he? Isn't there an episode? Wasn't I he flying it in Gal Galileo 7? I think it was... Scott, who was flying it, and he was, uh -huh. like, in the Navigator, you know, reading the sensor, doing what you'd expect Spock to do, right? Right. He didn't, he didn't have one of those little blue things to stare into, but he was basically reading the, reading the sensors and passing right. the information along to Mr. Scott. I guess that's possible. So, I mean, you know... And maybe... Go ahead. Maybe that's why he didn't successfully get the red matter thing correct in the uh, uh, saving of Romulus, because he was piloting that little crazy ship that was all bouncing around. <laughs> he was just never that good a pilot. You're right. That must be because of this. I guess that's true. Yeah, so they've, they've connected all the multiverses with this one explanation. It's very elegant. <laughs> yeah, that must be it. <laughs> So am I anyway, not backing you off your ledge? Or <laughs> yeah, or I, I'm good now, thanks. 
like I said, I'm all for the positive message. I just feel like this feels a little tacked on. Uh, you know, some of the other reviews I was reading, like people say that it really helps, like, evolve the character of Spock. You know, that he's here's one more thing that he's fighting. I'm like, I don't know that we I don't know that he needs it. I, I think that there's plenty of drama in just him, you know, fighting his human side and his emotions and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, th- talk about a complicated family relationship, right? Right. I mean, you realize that, it, you know, here, Sarek is basically like, turn him over to the authorities. And his mother's hiding him in the basement. You know, it's like, <laughs> what a messed up scenario. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that. No, no wonder when he's like, get him, greet them at uh, Journey to Pable. He's not thrilled to see any of them. Damn, mom locked me in the basement. Dad wanted to turn me over to the authorities. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That is certainly one way to put it. Um, yeah, you know, that's a great scene. I love the scene that... I loved all the scenes with Amanda and Burnham and then the scene with the with the three of them. I really... You can really feel that this is some kind of weirdly dysfunctional family. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you got Amanda who's reading her kids Alice in Wonderland to, you know, sort of realize like, hey... You know, that you prepare yourself because your whole world's going to be crazy when you get out into the real world and see what's going on. Uh, you know, her, her Sarah calls it chaos. <laughs> You've been teaching our kids chaos, and look what it's done to, done to them. Where she's like, "No, I think the chaos has helped them get this far." What are you talking about? Uh, I Amanda think that's certainly Burnham's position. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, Amanda even like stands up to Sarah and says, "Like, uh, you're, I, I'm not." I don't have to follow your authority. I'm your partner. I'm your wife. <laughs> you know, there's no like you're the leader dynamic in all of this. We're partners. But you can tell he's concerned about like the implications to their positions, right? Mm-hmm. How is this going to affect Spock's career? How will it affect my career when this is revealed that like you've been hiding him? How will it affect Burnham's career if Burnham's involved in concealing you know Spock you know for the good of everybody's career this is what we have to do yeah right because this will this will you know I won't get in trouble and Burnham won't get in trouble and you know Spock can be rehabilitated right Mm -hmm. so and then I really love the line that Sarek gives at the end of that scene which is I'm not prepared to lose both my children in one day yeah. You know, you can almost, he gives it just, like, the tiniest little bit of, like, getting caught in his throat. like getting no, I, thought, I, thought, it. I thought there was a lot there. Yeah. I mean, maybe I was waiting it for Sarek, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought that was a great line. Because we've got it. So Amanda, you know, has been, you know, quote, fighting for her son, you know, all all of these years. You know, she doesn't feel like. Growing him up completely Vulcan was the way to go. And that sort of she gets to prove her experience with or her experiment with Burnham, basically. Right. Because she's like, look, here, she's towing the line. She understands your logic, but she also can use emotion. You know, she also can use her emotions well. And this is proof that maybe the way we've been raising Spock is not 100 percent, which may be how this whole season ends. This whole season wraps up with that idea, maybe. Although. I mean, I really don't think it's until the movie era. In fact, almost until after. So we got some stuff. So in motion picture, 
Spock is going through the colonar. Mm-hmm. Right? So, of course, that's going to be a big developmental milestone for Spock. Right. And then, of course, at the end of 2, and I think we get a very conventional Spock in Wrath of Khan. And then at the end of Wrath of Khan, he dies. Yeah. And so in 3, 4, 5, and 6, we have, you know, what do you want to call him? Resurrected Spock? Or yeah. reincarnated Spock? Or Spock Mark II? Yes. And I Which, certainly think- side note, real quick, also goes to prove my whole dyslexic thing. Because if, you know, he's, re- he's reincarnated and everything's put back in, but he's doesn't, he doesn't remember anything or how yeah. anything works, then it's like he's still fighting that dyslexia then at that point. Sorry. If it existed, which, whatever. But anyway, go on. So. Oh, sorry. I, I think this off. is. Huh? Did I throw well, you I think, off? On- I, I think this is where we get some of this more mature Spock with the uh, harmonizing the human. And, the, and he's, he's no longer as hostile to the idea of emotion or spirituality or um, non-logical solutions to problems. In fact, sometimes he evokes them, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas, you know, in, in the original series, he's pretty much your straight logic guy. That's his job on the show. Yeah, and the the guy who's going to make the, you know, maybe it's not logic is going to be Doctor McCoy, right? Yep. And so, the fact that Spock can do more later on, I think, is part of Spock's growth and development, and it creates a problem for explaining his super logic in the original series, if we try to make him more the complete Spock that we see later on. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a nice arc there for Spock if we leave that alone. Yeah. So I, th- I think, you know, at this point, Spock needs to be struggling with those two. He has not put them together. Mm-hmm. And that by the original series, he has put them together, but in a, he's, he's gone full Vulcan, right? Yeah. That's, how, that's his solution to the problem. And that we get the more complete Spock. The Spock that if only Amanda could see him, she'd be like, now that, that's what I was looking for. That's, you know, the seeds I planted and have fully uh, you know, grown into, into the, the Spock we see you know, in the, in the late movie era. Yeah. It'd be interesting to go back and watch the beginning of 4 when they have that scene. Remember, he's doing all the trivia questions and then all of a sudden one of them comes up and it's like, how do you feel? And Amanda shows up and is like, I programmed that question. But I don't remember why. So, yeah, that'd be worth going back and watching. So, Sarek is pretty assured that Spock is going to be helped out by Section 31. Leland even tells Burnham later, you know, like giving him the same assurance, giving her the same assurances, like, but something turns out to be afoot, thanks to Giorgio, because uh, she tells Burnham that Section 31 means to scramble Spock's brains. Oh, no. Yeah, but do we believe your show? Uh, I don't. <laughs> well, we know one thing's for sure. Is, uh, so she does say there, she says that um, you escaping will look bad for Leland, which will be good for her. Right. I totally buy that. So maybe she's just giving out this real piece of information so that, you know, Burnham will, uh, will escape and, she, and go. She could lie so that Burnham will escape and go and screw Leland. 
Yeah, I guess that's There's true. No, yeah, I mean, I don't believe anything she says, except for the part where, this is good for me, so help me out with this one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I've well, given you some plausible reason to do it, like to save your brother, but eh, who knows, you know. <laughs> well, and then she gives this very cryptic line where she says, uh, she's not doing it out of the goodness of her heart, she's doing it out of the goodness of Burnham's. Yeah. Which means what? Which means that, like, she knows that Burnham's a good person, so she's going to help her? Yeah, or... I, mean, I, I, think, I think she kind of likes Burnham. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's got her, her deep history with Mirror Burnham. Yep. And uh, I think she, you know, thinks that as much as she finds the, uh, her, you know, what we would consider the prime world, the prime yeah. universe, mm-hmm. Burnham to, uh, or the prime universe to be irritating and that it's so nice and friendly and, you know, not nearly ruthless enough. There's still something admirable about Burnham, right? right. That she's using her strength to help people, not just to gain power. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will once again invoke Dumbledore on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Giorgio says, I know more about you than you know. <laughs> well, we can't talk about that now. We got to talk about it for another time, she says. And uh, then they get into the fight, which was great. Having Michelle Yeoh finally kick some ass because, you know, that's what she's most well known for is being an awesome uh, fight person in movies. So it was really great to see that. I was also wondering if maybe Spock found out that either section 31 through the through the asylum he was in or whether the asylum himself was maybe planning on doing the same thing planning on scrambling his brains and maybe that's why he escaped from there that was uh, another totally, suggestion totally i had i mean you know really you think how does star trek morality work right mm-hmm. the crew of the ship is going to go rescue spock you know to get him back this is like the the plot of Star Trek 3, right? Right. They're going to go. They're going to get Spock. Nobody's allowed to go to Genesis. It's totally off limits. Spock has to steal the Enterprise. Who goes with them? Just his command crew, right? Right. They're going to get Spock back because nobody can heal Spock except for, you know, Kirk and McCoy or, you know, however it it works out. And so, yeah, you want to get Spock and you want to give him to the doctor of our... Our friendship, right? Right. Uh, the discovery. So this is going to be what Culper and and I, I don't think we really have. We've seen some other doctors, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's Culper. Name. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this is what Culper's got to do, right? Right. This is going to be his mission here for the rest of the season: is help him to treat Spock. Yeah, and, he like, doesn't have his own stuff better, going on. We know, we know Culper's great, right? Well, in right. a sense, they'll heal each other, right? Yeah, maybe. That'd be cool. That'd be great. Yep. Uh, speaking also of something you just mentioned there, which I can't remember what it was now. I had a thought when you were talking, and then I was like, following you through your thought, and then I lost it. Uh, Spock. I don't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, you were talking about the Katras. We also find out that that little crypt area that they were in earlier in the uh, episode was had Katra stones in it, which I guess is cool. That means you can like just keep your loved ones around, or I guess in the case of Vulcans, your uh, 
former relations, your former family. I don't know what you'd call them, what Vulcans would call them, but you've got your former family, your ancestors all over you. So you can then go like ask, like, I wonder, I wonder how they would handle this situation or I need some of their intel. I don't know. You've seen, we've seen, we've only seen a little bit on how these Katras work. We saw, you know, the, the one in Star Trek three and four, and then we saw the one in, uh, Picard episode where he takes in part of Sarek's Katra so all the crazy will uh, exist in him and he can do his diplomatic thing. Uh, we also find out that Leland was somehow involved in getting P- Burnham's parents killed. Dun dun dun. Boy, lots of storylines being added on in this episode. So here we're also dealing with Pike and his uh, post-war guilt. He keeps putting himself in danger because of it. He even eventually admits this to Tyler at the end. I assume that this must have been why he went uh, pod hopping in that first episode with Burnham and uh, the the one crazy guy who got killed. Uh, this sort of uh, this sort of ties him and Tyler together uh, by the end of this. You know, uh, Tyler having saved his life from the crazy probe right. thing that got sent back from the future. So uh, apparently, their relationship will be at least a little bit better than it has been. So that's good. I do want to remind, like the the viewer. That this was also a feature of the, the pike that we meet in the cage, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this business on Rigel Seven that involved this fight with a guy, and uh, Pike had admitted that he had missed the signs. The, the the armor and the weapon should have tipped me off. And so I, I think Pike's kind of gotten a. Uh, it's a character. Strength and flaw, because. All of our strengths are flaws. Mm-hmm. That he's he, he boldly goes. Uh, let's see what else I got. Uh, oh, we also got the thing with uh, Arium, who we've been talking a lot about lately, and just happens to become an integral part of the story as she takes in something from yeah. the probe. We don't know, good or bad. We we have to find, but it's a good solid cliffhanger. I like it. Charlie asked me if she had been hacked. <laughs> Yeah, right. And I thought that is a great way of, of, of expressing it. Is she going to be a sleeper cell somehow, you know? Yeah. Oh, you know, Saru uh, was in command in this episode, and I was thinking, you know, he could end up being the captain next season. Yep. Uh, but I also began to wonder what that would look like, you know, because uh, always having uh, these captain issues like we've had, um, how that would work for the dynamic of the show, although, you know, as we've seen, Pike's been uh, pretty agreeable most of the time, so there hasn't been much in this episode, but it'd be interesting to have... Sir, I would love it if Saru took over, because he he just was so... Uh, he's so great. And then uh, finally at the end, we get this reveal of Talos for... I'm leery about this. I'm reserved about this, because... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess you're right. We don't know exactly where in the timeline this fits, but this could really screw up lots of stuff. <laughs> In regards to the cage. Yeah, so it's got to be after, right? Yeah, I guess. Because otherwise, lots of that very first scene on the cage won't make any sense. We're heading there. I mean, it's not like uh, Pike could pretend he doesn't know what he knows. Yeah. So unless they're going to, you know... Unless it's just Spike and... But it could be Spike and... Or Spike. (laughs) Spike. (laughs) Suddenly it's the Buffy cast. Uh, the uh, uh, Spock and Burnham, I guess if they're the only ones who show up, 
But uh, somebody else pointed out in a review that it was that they say that only one uh, the oh, the there's only one starship or Federation ship that ever ended up on Talos four, and that was the Enterprise. At least as far as they knew, I guess would be the point. Uh, two other little teeny. Oh, go ahead. I feel like it's got to be after, and therefore this would be the first time that Spock violated the don't go back to Talos business. Right. And the time he brings Pike back the second time would be, well, the second time, right? Yeah, the second time. So there's, there's actually three visits to Talos. That's my guess. Uh, so we also got the uh, mention of the memory extractor in this episode. That's what uh, Giorgio says that uh, they're going to use on Spock. If you remember, there was a uh, memory extractor used by the Klingons in Errand of Mercy that they tried to use on Spock, but Spock was very good at thwarting it. There's also a memory extractor type thing that the Romulans have in The Next Generation. Oh, all right. They threatened to use it on Geordi. Those bastards. On Geordi? So pretty much like I said, that's uh, almost all I got. I was reading a lot of the reviews, and again, most of them were just like recaps and little notes here and there about pretty much all of the same stuff that I had already written notes on. So I didn't really uh, steal anything from the reviews. However, I did see one of the comments on the uh, Trek Core or Trek Core website uh, that compared um, Georgiou to Garrick from DS9. I, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I thought that that was a really great uh, reference. Somebody we might be able to trust, but could also be bad, and maybe sometimes is bad, but may also be looking out for us for some reason. We don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think but, that's a that's a very apt analogy. Yeah, I loved it. And, uh, yeah, well, that's all I got. Hey, we crossed the 45-minute mark. That's all we had to do. It's great. We're, we're perfect. We've done everything we can. Uh, anything else about this episode uh, we didn't get to you want to talk about? No, I, I think we got it all. Yeah, you know, again, it's like pretty much what I've been been able to figure out is that there there wasn't a lot of depth in this episode. Obviously, we talked about the family stuff that's going on between uh, the three of them, and that's that's pretty deep. And, you know, we got uh, Pike dealing with his PTSD, but again, there's what more is there to say about it other than well, apparently he's learned his lesson and uh, he'll, he won't be taking quite as many risks anymore. Uh, probably won't be going on the away teams as much and that kind of stuff. But I think we also kind of got a sense that, you know, we saw Saru in the c- command chair again. We got a little yeah. bit of a note of Tilly and Stamets, you know, building their relationship a little bit yep. more. And those are the kinds of things that make it easier when later on we want to call on those things, you know, Saru can be in command, or yep. Tilly and Stamets are a team mm-hmm. that we've been like, yeah, actually, we've kind of been seeing them all season together, doing yeah. this thing, or however that works. Right. So, uh, we're, we're halfway through. I guess I'll ask you, what you how you're feeling about season two so far, now that we're at the oh, halfway point. It's fantastic, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think, uh, I think I enjoy it better than season one. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, the war stuff was, it was very particular, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not like saying anything that we've seen before was was bad. Yeah. But I, I really like this. And there's been certain notes 
in a more planet of the week kind of feeling to stuff that yeah. I really do like. Uh, I think I'm going to, well, I'll say this first is that I've loved this season. It's been really great. Uh, you know, there haven't been any, any real down episodes and just because we haven't been able to talk about them doesn't mean that we've hated them, right? Like this was yeah. a really great episode. Stuff happened. It's moving the plot along. We're getting, you know, inches closer to, to finally getting Spock and, and, uh, you know, getting him talking about whatever's going on and revealing who the, what the red angel is and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's been great this season. I do think I liked season one a little bit more. I loved the mirror universe stuff. I loved Lorca. You know, I loved those Lorca reveals cool. that happened. Yeah. yeah. So there was there was a lot about season one that I really like, and I don't feel quite the same attachment to this season that I felt to the last season. Uh, but again, that doesn't mean I hate it or anything. I just between the two, I might go back and watch season one again. Is all I'm right. saying. All right, well, on that bombshell, let's wrap it up for this week. As always, my name is Matt, coming to you from Austin and from Houston, or what was it, Alpha 4? Alpha 177. <laughs> there you go, Alpha 177. There's Ken. Say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. There we go, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.